Welcome to Soaring the Sky, a glider pilot's podcast. Hello, my name is Chuck. I will be your host, coming to you from the Mid-Atlantic region here in the United States and flying with the Cumberland Soaring Group. This is episode 42. This episode is brought to you by Arizona Soaring Incorporated, the nation's largest provider of professional glider training. Since 1969, they provided training from initial private through CFI glider and entry level through advanced aerobatics. Open year-round, seven days a week. More information is available at azsoaring.com. Our guest today had his first glider flights in 1972, before his senior year of high school, where he flew at the Civil Air Patrol Illinois Wing Flight Encampment. During the eight days, he had 29 flights and soloed. In 1974, he had the opportunity to be part of the CAP Exchange Program, where he traveled to the UK and flew a side-by-side glider from World War II. In 1980, he completed his SEL rating and had hoped to continue flying, but that didn't work out. Fast forward to 1996, he rejoined the CAP near his home at Sky Soaring Glider Club, where he completed his add-on private glider rating and his commercial glider rating, and later receiving his CFIG. Currently, he has over 1,250 glider flights, with several hundred of them flying CAP cadets. Join us now as Steven Snyder shares his aviation adventure, Soaring the Sky. Stephen Snyder, welcome to Soaring the Sky. How are you today? I'm fine, thanks, Chuck. Been looking forward to this. Great. Yeah, we chatted a while back, and it's good to catch up with you and uh, get to interview you. So, when did your aviation adventure begin? I would say it started when I was, I think I was 14, which would take us back to about uh, 1967. And uh, I was introduced to Civil Air Patrol by a school friend at the time. I knew that I was interested in learning more about flying. I certainly didn't know a heck of a lot at the time, but it seemed like a neat thing to do. I think it was between my junior and senior year in high school, I spent uh, a week at a Civil Air Patrol flight camp, and we were flying gliders for the whole week, and by the end of the week, I had soloed. So it was a great way to get started. Oh, very cool. So what did you first fly and what did you solo in? We were flying the venerable Schweitzer 222 back in that day. Uh, As you know from your experience, uh, they're big and heavy and and slow, but very similar to the 233s, which is so popular today. But good training aircraft for sure. Great for starters. So where did your journey take you after that? Well, then I... uh, I graduated high school. I was looking around for something to do and wasn't sure about school. I was thinking about the Air Force, and that didn't work out. So ended up over the next oh, five or six years, I was able to work on my uh, single engine rating and was able to get that, but never did get into a career in flying, so it was just a hobby. About that time, I got married, started having kids, job, whole routine, I'm sure you've heard from many people, and flying kind of went to the wayside. So took a hiatus, but I knew someday I'm going to get back into this. And sometime around 97, 98, I found a, a glider club not too far from my house and 
they had a Civil Air Patrol glider there, and so I got back into CAP and got back into gliding, and I've been going strong ever since. What aircraft were you flying when you got back into it? Uh, primarily 233s and L-23s, the Blanick L-23. So what are you flying now? Uh, the club I belong to, we have a variety of gliders, a couple of 233s. And we have a um, Crosno, which is a good two-seater, and uh, a Lark, a twin Lark, which is also good for instruction. And um, then we have 126 and a 134 and a PW5. So it's a fairly nice fleet at our club. What glider club are you flying out of? It's called Sky Soaring Glider Club. And Sky Soaring is located uh, almost exactly 30 miles northwest of O'Hare Airport. If one of, any of your listeners are looking at a sectional, just follow the Class B airspace straight west, and then you'll see our little glider symbol just uh, on the northwest edge of the Class B airspace. Is it a fairly big club? Do you have a lot of members? We have over 80 members, typically. Oh, yeah, that's a strong club. Pretty good size, and we're known for training, so we have a lot of students of all ages, but we have a lot of uh, student flying. So what are you currently flying? Uh, well, as an instructor, I do a, spend a lot of time in the uh, two-seat gliders. Uh, if I get a chance to fly by myself, I enjoy flying the 126, and I know you've mentioned that yourself. Occasionally, I'll fly in the PW5, which is just a little bit more performance than a 126. It's not something you necessarily you're going to set any records in, especially in Illinois. We're fairly flat here, so it's either a good thermal day or you're not going very far. Now, I believe we talked briefly uh, about winch launch. Did you ever get a chance to try that out? I have not gotten to that yet. I still would like to do that. Have you done some winch launching? Yes, that was uh, what I was going to say. I was fortunate enough to have been able to get my uh, ground launch endorsement because the club was has built a winch, and so now we supplement our aerotow with the winch launching. And I'm finding that not only a lot of fun, but it's a good experience and a good secondary method of training for uh, pilots, either rated pilots or student pilots that want to expand their opportunities. We find the winch is very inexpensive to fly off of, and although you don't get a lot of altitude, you get a lot of takeoff and landing experience. So the two work well hand-in-hand between aerotow and winch launching. How was the transition for you going from aerotow to winch launch? Actually, it wasn't that bad. The idea is to get the first two or three out of the way, and then it gets pretty simple. Uh, the first one is always rather exhilarating. It's definitely a roller coaster uh, type of uh, ride. But after you've done a few of them, it's pretty much just fine. You're just looking at the ground a little differently because you're going up at such a steep angle. Uh, we encourage our members to, to do both. Yeah, I think for me that would be the big deal to begin with was your attitude is definitely different than if you're doing an aerotow with, with the tow plane. It seems mm-hmm. like you just see a lot of sky. <laughs> yeah. You really have to, to train yourself to look to the side. You're looking at your wingtip for angle of attack, and that's you know then you can look down 
somewhat to the side and see what your relative position is. If you're going, you know, to get into the end of the rope and the nose starts to come down, you know where you're at. You're pretty much uh, on top of the winch. And that would be when you release. Right. If you don't, it's going to release itself. Pretty much you're going to overrun the uh, the rope and it's going to pull the back release on almost any glider. You can count on that. Is that a normal thing? I, I guess my question would be, if somebody doesn't release, it will release automatically? It, it should release automatically. It's certainly something you train for, the inevitable, if, if it didn't. But it's something you can pretty much count on that... Uh, once you get past the vertical position, it's, the releases are going to open up automatically. What's the procedure if it did not release? The uh, winch operator has a, a guillotine. A, uh, he, can emerge, he can cut that rope. That's probably the most likely. haven't seen it. haven't had to do that yet, so I'm not sure just how you would explain it. But the winch operator is watching you the whole time, and if he sees that you're released, he can uh, re- cut that. And generally, if it isn't releasing, it's because you're holding too much back pressure on the stick, and so you've got the, the cable so tight that it can't uh, relax. But that's uh, fortunately that's a pretty unlikely, pretty rare situation. Yeah, but it's always good to have that extra extra it's safety all in part the, of the training. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Out of the winch launch. Flight and then the Aerotow too. Uh, any of those? Is there a flight that stands out maybe in your logbook? Well, that's a good question. I was I was wondering uh, what I would answer to that. Uh, I don't have any of the great uh, stories that some of your other guests have had. I've, you know, I've never flown the Alps or even the, the Rocky Mountains. And or the, I did get a flight at Blue Ridge Soaring in the Appalachians. My one uh, land out would probably rate uh, as a memorable experience. You know, when I landed off airport from Chicago to uh, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, it's probably about 40 miles from our airport, from our glider field. So that was uh, something to remember. Unfortunately, it was early spring, so the field that I landed in was very early bean crop. It was an easy one to uh, negotiate. And other than that, uh, some of my longest flights have actually been on tow. I don't know how, you've, if you've done aero tow, you typically go to 3,000 feet and get off. But I've had uh, the opportunity to relocate several gliders over the years on aero tow. And so I've done some two, two and a half, almost three hour flights behind the tow plane. And so those are always interesting. Sometimes boring, but sometimes they're definitely not. That was one flight when we were bringing a glider from Springfield, Illinois, back to Chicago, and we had to literally fly over the city with no place to to land out, and it was an extremely turbulent flight, and so that was probably stands out in my mind as memorable. I was ever scared about not completing a flight. That was probably the one. What was your altitude over the city? It was still pretty low. Uh, we may have been 1,500 feet above ground at that point. And eventually we climbed out. We were able to uh, to get out of that area. But at the time we took off, we were just getting uh, just getting going. It was very low, and we were desperately looking for alternatives if we had to because you don't want to have a rope break uh, 
over a city environment. You just don't know what you're going to find. Yeah, that's not something that most people would even think about, but mm-hmm. pretty interesting to be on tow over, over a city like that. And then, yeah, just hope that everything goes well. And, and then mm-hmm. turbulence on top of that. that. That must have been quite the adventure. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it's quite intimidating at the time. But, you know, most of your glider pilots are going to talk about, uh, you know, well, we fly somewhere and then we disassemble and we put it in a trailer. But that's not always the case, Yeah. Sometimes it just isn't convenient or you don't have a trailer or you don't have the time. You know, on a bigger glider, if you've seen the Blanick uh, L23, it's a big glider and it's heavy. So taking it apart is not always easy. And uh, have you ever had the pleasure of disassembling a 233? Uh, We try to do that at least once a year just to put them away for the winter, but when you want to take one on a three or four hundred mile journey to another destination, it's not so convenient to take it apart and try to put it on a trailer. So, uh, no, absolutely not. So I've flown from one end of the state of Illinois to the other, and that's a well, trip. Yeah, well, I wouldn't want to land the two thirty three out and then have to disassemble it. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> I've seen that done uh, a couple of times, and that's not a whole lot of fun. No. So if you would give some advice to someone on how to be a better and safer pilot that you've found over the years, being an instructor and also a pilot, you know, taking your own flights, what would you say to them? You know, I think the thing that stands out, not so much the students, but a lot of the veteran pilots, the seasoned guys have been around a long time, don't fly enough. They don't get out. You know, they may come out and fly two or three flights a year. I think getting out more frequently would be a, a major step forward in improving their uh, their skills and their their uh, safety. If you do anything in, in life and you do it once or twice a year, you're probably not going to be very good at it. So definitely my recommendation is to fly more often and fly with a, a partner. It doesn't have to be an instructor necessarily, but fly with somebody who is frequent. And get and get uh, get the rust off, as they say. We talk about spring checkouts, but uh, I would like to see pilots get out and fly with others uh, on a regular basis. Uh, I imagine at your club they they should talk, you know, similar about you know when you come out, be sure you're you're comfortable, that you know what you can do, and how long has it been, and you want to get out and, and go with somebody else on the first flight or two. Yeah, that's actually like the first conversation we have, especially if we know somebody hasn't been in the glider port for a while. We're like, hey, you know, what have you been up to? Have you done any flying? Who are you flying with today for your first couple of flights? And definitely what we do because, mm-hmm. yeah, it's important if you haven't been up there in a while. You know, we, we forget things and it, it's good to keep the practice going and stay current. Even if you've been on the simulator, you know, it's still good to get out there and fly with somebody else before you start flying around. Absolutely. Yeah, don't be uh, shy and don't uh, hesitate to ask somebody to go with you for a couple and uh, get yourself back in and then keep coming out. Don't just, uh, limit yourself to once once a month or once every three months. And of course, the other thing is uh, bring a friend. Bring somebody else out that has never flown and share the... Uh, the experience with uh, other people. At our club, we do have 
some sightseeing flights. We try not to interfere with our club operations, but if somebody wants to bring uh, a friend out or somebody wants to buy a gift certificate for a spouse or a friend, uh, you know, we encourage that because uh, the whole point is to get more people exposed to soaring and young or old, it doesn't really matter. Just come out and have a good time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of people are aware of flying and, and general aviation, but there's quite a few of them that aren't aware of gliders. And the question I get a lot is, you know, oh, you, oh, you fly, what do you fly? And then you tell them, they're like, what, a glider? What, what do you mean, like a hang glider? You know, and there's always that question, mm-hmm. like, what What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> How do you get up there? How do you stay up there? How long do you stay up there? Hey, well, let's go for a flight and I'll show you. Yeah, exactly. What a great way to show them the world of soaring and what we get to enjoy. Mm-hmm. There's so much uh, to be said for the sport, but not enough people talking about it. So Yeah, exactly. The more we can do to, to spread the word, the better. Well, that's what we're trying to do, Stephen, here on the podcast. And I definitely appreciate you coming on here and telling your story and sharing with the listeners, and it's been good having you. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate what you're doing, and as I said when we started out, this isn't going to be the most exciting uh, interview. I don't do any cross-country racing, or uh, I've never flown the Pearl under 90,000 feet, but uh, it's the average guys that, that we're looking for and we're talking to, and there's a lot of them out there that, uh, that need to hear this, so let's continue to, to share it. Absolutely. All right, sir. Thank you, Stephen. My pleasure. And thank you for joining us for another great guest here on Soaring the Sky. Please spread the word about the podcast to your friends and at your local glider port so we can continue to grow and keep bringing you more aviation adventures like this one. Our aviation journey continues next week when we join our friends at Lake Keep It Soaring Club in Australia, the home of the 10th FAI Women's World Gliding Championship where their soaring season is just now getting started. Until then, you can check out all of our previous episodes, and if you haven't had your first soaring adventure yet, check out the SSA.org to find out where you can jump into the cockpit at your local glider port. Also, you can find us on social media, and for more information on that, here's Michelle. On Facebook, it's Soaring the Sky Podcast. On Instagram, it's the same. If you would like to say hi, just drop Chuck a line at chuck at soaringthesky.com. Or you can send us a note on the website. That's soaringthesky.com. Also, if you're a pilot, we want to hear your story. Just send us an email and Chuck will get in touch with you. We hope you join us next week for another great guest and adventure on Soaring the Sky.